Welcome back, dear listeners, to a very special episode of The Forge. This is going to be departing a little bit from our verse-by-verse coverage. I'm dropping this here in the middle of Galatians uh, because I made some comments in my previous episode, and um, I want to take the time to clarify a few things, um, specifically concerning dispensationalism and the doctrine of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I would remind you that this is the view that I held for my entire life. I was brought up believing this. I belonged to a denomination where it was required that you must hold to a pre-tribulation rapture view of eschatology. Uh, When I say the word eschatology, don't let that scare you. It just means end times or the study of the last things. It comes from the word eschaton, eschatology. It just means the study of how things are going to end according to a Christian or biblical worldview. And the most predominant view in the Western church today, um, what calls itself evangelicalism, uh, Christianity, the most uh, probably the predominant view is the view of a dispensationalism uh, view of scripture and a pre-tribulation rapture. And there are divisions among those. Uh, Some people would believe in what they call a mid-tribulation rapture or even a post-tribulation rapture, but they still believe in a rapture and they still believe in a dispensational view of scripture. A lot of this comes from a man named Schofield. There are Schofield Bibles still being printed. Um, I have one on my bookshelf. I believed it. I uh, even heard John MacArthur one time make a joke. Uh, he is a dispensationalist. Um, and he said something like, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Schofield's notes and Moody Press. <laughs> and he was being, you know, he was joking about it. And I guess if he if he said it about himself, then then I can, you know, join along with that and have a little fun with it. Uh, this episode is not meant to be an exhaustive study. Um, I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of scripture references in this. This is not going to be a verse by verse study, but it is going to be a little bit of an explanation. So, you know where I'm coming from. Most people that have a Schofield Bible, most people that, uh, are sitting in churches where dispensationalism is believed and taught. Uh, many of the preachers and teachers propagating this doctrine don't even know the history of it. They don't understand that uh, even in Reformed churches, there are people that don't understand that this system differs from the Reformation. It differs from historical theology. Um, it is against covenantal or covenant theology. Um, It's true for most people sitting in the pew and and most pastors and preachers, teachers who who teach this method of looking at end times, they don't know uh, where it started. They don't know the history of it. For the longest time, I had no clue. I thought that everybody believed this. I didn't even know there was a debate for many years. Um, it, it, 
it goes against the Westminster Confession of Faith. It goes against the theology of the Heidelberg Catechism. I would say that covenant theology and dispensationalism, I would say they are arch rivals. That's how strongly, if you really read the doctrines, that's how strongly they are opposed to each other. And I believe that many who are presently adherents of dispensationalism would not actually stay in that frame of thinking if they knew where it came from. Because once you become acquainted with it, once you get knowledgeable on history, um, you realize that you've been, you've become a victim of a system which is taught, um, in most cases, it's been taught to you by someone else. You would not have come up with this on your own. You had a question about end times. You had a question about Daniel or a revelation. And you went to someone and they said, hey, I'm going to show you how you can interpret this and how you can read this. It's going to clear everything up for you. Uh, dispensationalism's theological roots have really gone on to spawn other doctrinal errors. And why is eschatology important? You might be hearing this and you're thinking, okay, so what? End times, who cares? It's not essential to salvation. I would point you to at least two, and I'm sure there are more, but at least two cult groups that are large in the United States and the West, uh, Latter-day Saints, which are Mormons, and the Jehovah Witnesses. Both of these, I mean, the very name, Latter-day Saints, they are based on a wrong view of eschatology, a wrong view of how things are going to end. Specifically in the Jehovah Witnesses, they've made predictions on when the end was going to come, when Jesus was going to return, set dates, and it did not happen. Harold Camping is another one in most recent history. Of course, he is dead now. And um, I think he learned just before he died that he was done with the uh, date setting business. So if you don't get this right, why is it important? If you don't get this right, you could fall for false teaching. Dispensationalism, as I mentioned in my last uh, episode, it has its roots in the Plymouth Brethren movement that began in the United Kingdom. And there is some disagreement about this. A lot of people uh, debate about dates. Um, it really doesn't matter. What you need to know is that it did not exist before the early 1800s. Um, at best we can tell it was 1827 in Dublin. And the... Um, uh, the movement, the brethren movement. And again, I'm not, I'm not um, picking on the brethren, um, the Plymouth brethren denomination. There's still a denomination today. I'm just going to point out to you that probably the key person that you think of in the beginning of the brethren movement was a man named John Nelson Darby and Darby really, um, I guess you could say was 
someone who energized the movement, the brethren, uh, what would later become the Plymouth brethren. And um, the reason it's important is it's kind of giving us an approximate date, an approximate year, 1827, when John Nelson Darby comes on the scene and begins to uh, teach this dispensational theology. Um, How does that relate to the rapture doctrine? Well, these two are very closely related. In fact, I would say you can't have one without the other. If you don't believe in a rapture, it's going to be difficult for you to maintain a belief in dispensationalism and vice versa. If you don't believe in dispensationalism, it's going to be hard for you to hold on to the rapture. I'm not saying you can't do it. I mean, you can do whatever you want with scripture if you're using an elastic hermeneutic. But if you're going to be consistent, it's really hard to have one without the other. So the rapture comes on the scene as far as a doctrine. Best we can tell, around 1830, there was a lady, Margaret MacDonald, also in the UK. And what she would do is kind of put herself into a trance. And in, once she was in this trance, she would get visions and she would give prophecy. And so right off the bat, there are things right there that make me wonder. Um, first of all, ladies, don't get angry with me, but this is a woman, a woman giving prophecy after scripture has been canonized. You see, when someone gives prophecy, they are saying this is the word of God. So in other words, our Bible isn't closed because there's more word of God to be given through a prophet. And the way that she got this prophecy was from being in a trance. So right off the bat, I see a woman in a position of authority, maybe not in a church, but she's still prophesying. Number two, I see uh, someone kind of using a mystic approach, being put into a trance so that she could have this prophetic utterance. And so... As best we can tell, she wrote down her vision in a letter, sent the letter to someone. Somehow, Darby, who is this prime force in the Plymouth Brethren movement, he gets a hold of at least the information in the letter. We don't know if he received the letter himself personally or if someone just told him about it. Somehow, he got wind of the idea that the church, this rapture was going to happen and the church was going to be removed from the world as the world condition continued to get worse. As things were getting bad, the church was going to be removed. So Darby took this vision. Um, He did some questionable theological study on the subject and he put his support behind this idea. Um, Now, what level he was influenced by Margaret MacDonald, we don't really know, but there is clearly some kind of of an influence there. There is some kind of an impact. So Darby travels from the UK to the United States, and he starts teaching his new theology 
of dispensationalism in the United States. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. Another question that comes up, where was this doctrine for 1,827 years? Where was it? Friends, it didn't exist. So right off the bat, again, another question that I come up with is how does this doctrine fit within historical Christianity? How does this doctrine fit with what the reformers taught? And the answer is it doesn't. It doesn't fit. So you've got the rapture doctrine. You've got dispensational as a theological system. It's really developed from a twisted theological interpretation of scripture. And it really dates back to, as far as we can tell, the 19th century. That's about as far back as we can get with it. So I mentioned Darby comes from the UK, he travels to the United States. He begins to hold a series of lectures. And as for, as best we can tell, dispensationalism comes on the scene in 1864, 1865. And Darby uh, visits a church, a Presbyterian church, 16th Avenue and Walnut, I'm sorry, 16th and Walnut Avenue, Presbyterian Church in St. Louis. The pastor there, his name was Dr. James Brooks. And I mentioned this in the last episode in Galatians. Brooks um, really became a proponent of dispensationalism in America. Now, how did this happen? Um, I don't really know. Um, it seems to me that either Dr. Brooks didn't believe the confession, um, the Westminster Confession being Presbyterian, either he didn't believe it or he had forgotten it or he was looking for something new. Um, no one knows a man's heart. So why he bought into this, I don't know, because as you look at dispensationalism and yet as you look at covenant theology, it's like I said, they're, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So Brooks propagated dispensationalism um, by having his own Bible studies, and he began to train young men. And one of the young men that he um, had was a man named C.I. Schofield. You may have heard of Schofield Bibles. Uh, Dr. Brooks began to publish books, uh, pamphlets, uh, he also began to publish a magazine called The Truth, and he was really promoting dispensational doctrine. So Schofield graduates from Brooks. He, began, he, he publishes um, the first ever reference Bible, as far as I can find. And when I say reference Bible, I mean a Bible with notes printed right alongside Scripture. Today, you go to your average Christian bookstore, you can find tons of reference Bibles, study Bibles. There's teen Bibles, Bibles for women, Bibles for this, Bibles for that, with all kinds of study notes. Um, I suppose that people have been blessed by these. I think personally, it's a way for publishers to make money. The issue that I have with it, especially where Schofield is concerned, is that people begin to conflate the notes with what's really in the text. Uh, 
because they are side by side or top to bottom. It's right there alongside the printed text of God's holy word. Um, the Schofield Bible became a bestseller. People loved it. Um, and there were conferences at this time that started being held, uh, Bible study conferences. And all of the leaders, I won't say all, the vast majority of the leaders of these Bible studies and conventions or uh, conferences, they were dispensational in their views. And, you know, the thing about Schofield's notes is you could read the notes and it would explain to you the dispensational view of interpretation of scripture. So in other words, people were, were interpreting scripture through Schofield. And so you can imagine as the Bible continues to sell, um, people are reading Schofield's notes and the belief in the dispensa dispensational view of scripture and eventually a rapture of the church, it really started to take root. And it grew because people were reading Schofield's notes rather than reading the word of God itself. And again, I'm going to take you back to history. Where did it exist in the church for 827 years? It didn't. It did not. Now, the major training center for evangelical Bible-believing churches became Dallas Theological Seminary. And there's a reason for that. Um, Princeton went liberal. Um, and when I say that it went liberal, um, the faculty and the staff there, the president of Princeton, they began to become more interested in being accepted by modern thinking, uh, ecumen ecumenicalism. Uh, they wanted to be something other than a, a fundamental Bible-believing seminary. And so Dallas Theological Seminary was sort of born out of that idea of being a fundamental uh, seminary. And at this time, without going off on too much of a tangent, the ideas of liberalism and modernism, you have an influence of Charles Darwin, Darwinian evolution, in the higher institutions, in the academy, all of these things uh, pressing in, and it calls and it caused Christians uh, to band together and publish the fundamentals of the Christian faith, and so the, and that's where we get the term today, fundamentalist. So there were people like myself who believe that the Bible is true and the Bible is inspired. We believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ. We believe in fulfilled prophecy in Christ. We believe in his uh, miraculous birth, um, his death, his life, his um, resurrection, and his ascension. All these things uh, we believe. And so people began to turn to Dallas Theological Seminary because it was a place where you could have conservative, Bible-believing, Christian teaching, and people were being prepared there to go out and preach the word. Now, remember that Dallas Theological Seminary is now dispensational. So you have pastors coming out of DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, from that point 
even up today, even up until today, and they are coming out preaching a dispensational pre-tribulation rapture of the church message from seminary. Um, there is a Presbyterian minister who is, uh, he's deceased. He's no longer with us. His name was Robert King Churchill. And he wrote a little paperback book and I'm going to see if I can find it. And uh, I'm actually going to see if I can find it and purchase it and add it to my library. The name of the book, Lest We Forget. And he reflects on 50 years of his ministry within the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And he basically tells of his own personal experience watching as um, dispensational theology and pre-tribulation rapture, all of this theology um, finding its way into the Presbyterian Church. And um, he talks about how Schofield's notes, the Schofield Reference Bible, actually became more and more predominant in the preaching in Presbyterian churches. And this is important because it goes against Presbyterian um, teaching, um, heritage doctrine. It goes against the Reformation, Reformed doctrine. And uh, so um, one of the things that he brings out in his book is a critique of Lewis Sperry Schaefer's um, lecture. And remember, Schaefer is or was the first president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And Schaefer gave a series of lectures on grace. And you've got to understand that when you're looking at dispensationalism, there's a dispensation of grace. And that is a very different view than the Reformed view of grace. We don't believe as Reformed Christians that there is a single dispensation of grace. As a matter of fact, as we've been talking about the law and the promise in the book of Galatians, we see that the law points us to Christ. And we've also noticed that there was grace going all the way back to the beginning. So there's not a single dispensation of grace. But under the dispensational view, there is this dispensation of grace. And here is what uh, the critique was. He basically says, um, Schaefer's treatment of the subject of grace never arrives at the right view of the law of God. According to Dr. Schaefer, the law was a condition of salvation placed upon the people of God in the Old Testament during a special and limited time period, the dispensation of law. This condition Schaefer contended no longer has application to the New Testament believer since we relate to God under a new dispensation, the dispensation of grace. Since, as he puts it, we are no longer under the law, but under grace, Schaefer argued that there is no necessary relationship between law and grace. 
That's why I'm bringing this up now, because I've been pointing out the relationship between law and grace in the book of Galatians. He goes on to say, here is law without grace and grace without law. Always and in every sense, law and grace are opposed to each other. Well, what does Paul say? I encourage you to go back and listen to my last two episodes in Galatians. That's not what Paul says. Um, he goes on with a critique of Schaefer. He says, These te this teaching appears to be scriptural, but in reality, it was the ancient error of antinomianism, which means anti-law. And this denies that the law has application to the Christian. Schaefer defended this view by means of a radical reinterpretation of the scriptures. Now, friends, that is what an Orthodox Presbyterian minister, Robert King Churchill, had to say about Schaefer's treatment of this subject. So moving forward in time, you have D.L. Moody, uh, Billy Graham, and they all taught and believed in dispensationalism. They believed in pre-tribulation rapture doctrine. Uh, I have read that uh, Billy Graham changed his belief about the rapture, uh, that he recanted it. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, it doesn't really matter at this point. In the 1970s, I remember as a child, the doctrine um, was kind of advanced. I remember seeing the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, by Hal Lindsey. I remember seeing that book as young as, I don't know, probably eight or 10 years old on my grandmother's bookshelf. Uh, the whole Left Behind series, Left Behind movies, Left Behind books. Uh, it's really helped to solidify <clears throat> the rapture as the theology here in the West. So, how could dispensationalism be welcomed and embraced in strong Presbyterian churches? Um, I think personally that they were not strong. I don't think that they practiced uh, church discipline. I don't think they knew what they believed. I think they were infiltrated by uh, socialistic liberalism. And there was just not an emphasis on teaching the the doctrinal distinctives of their own confession. For example, in Presbyterian churches, it would be the Westminster. For um, other Reformed churches coming out of a different tradition, it would be the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, honest dispensationalists, if you can get them to be truthful with you, and this is what I had to do, I had to get truthful with my own self, You've got to agree that dispensational theology has a different view of the grace of God, the law of God, the church, Israel, how the Bible is to be interpreted. interpreted. It even has a different view of salvation. And it's true. It's all there in dispensational thinking. If you read dispensational doctrine, read covenant theology, you're going to start to see things that just don't fit together. So dispensational teaching, it's different from uh, what has been tested over time. It's 
different than the respected historical creeds and confessions that we as reformed Christians are, are built upon. Um, you know, people have shed their blood and died for the reformed faith. And you need to think about it, especially if you are in reformed circles. So, um, historically it just doesn't add up for me. Um, scripturally it doesn't either, but I haven't given you a lot of scripture references here. I'm just telling you where it came from and what was happening historically. Um, dispensationalism has a different view of living the Christian life. It's got a different view of, uh, sanctification, justification, um, and on it goes. Um, and so that's about 28 minutes, 30 minutes on what I think of dispensationalism, uh, pre-tribulation rapture of the church. These things are put together um, and they fit hand in hand together, but they're unscriptural. It's not true. And uh, as Reformed Christians, I would encourage you to really really take a look at what you believe about these things. Thank you very much. Hopefully this has been helpful. God bless you. And I'll see you on the next episode as we continue to go through the book of Galatians. to the Forge podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him. <music>